2: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline.
3: Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 929 FM ESPN. We took a trip, now we on your block, and it's like a ghost town, baby now i had Cobb on right before everything went absolutely nuts but he's going to join me now because everything spiraled out we have a pack four colorado started it but then arizona arizona state to the big 12 washington oregon to the big 10 for a cheap number david cobb joins now cbs sports college basketball and college football writer at david w cobb on x david what's up man
4: how are you hey i'm doing well we uh, got a, a new week a new frontier in college sports the actual season right around the corner so yeah content wise there's there's plenty of plenty of stuff going on in, in my world
3: yeah the old uh the old pack four we're gonna get a good conference conference <laughs> slate with the with the pack four uh e- each team plays each other what three times then add two uh or uh, they play each other twice and then add two uh uh that, that, that play each other three times or, or what what's going to happen now with this pack four where are they headed i know stanford Actually, and cal it feels like acc maybe
4: well i like i like where you're going with that because if you think about it the top six uh conference champions have automatic college football playoff access starting in 24 uh, at least for two years right that's what they agreed on so if there's only four teams in your conference hey. and uh you know you got a pretty good shot of winning they got your their aq games. huh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's actually not the worst idea, but no, it's uh, it's a mess. Yeah, obviously, reports uh, Monday are, yeah, ACC interested in in kicking the tires on Cal and Stanford. That that's the next evolution here. Is where do all the the spare parts land? Uh, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State feels like uh, Florida State having any sort of clarity is still a long way off. That's my interpretation. Although I think what what will draw more interest and more uh, flashy headlines, right, like if they're able to somehow bully their way out of the ACC with the help of private equity investment or something like that would just be insane. But, yeah, in the short term, it's uh, the leftover Pac-12 schools, where do they end up? Uh, or does the Pac-12 somehow try to backfill and continue on as a league? I just don't know if I see that in the cards.
3: Yeah, um, the most uh, useful of the left pieces, of the pieces left back uh, from a university standpoint would be Stanford, right? But I, I feel like if they're going to align themselves with another um, entity, another uh, league, they're going to have to make some concessions on the front end. I mean, they they're very think very highly of their academics and – Um, you sort of wonder what their thought process is going forward.
4: Yeah, there's no real positive financial outcome available to Stanford right now because go and look at the shares of the Big Ten revenue that Oregon and Washington are accepting in the Big Ten. They are going to get a drastically diminished payout on a per-school basis compared to the other Big Ten schools because essentially the Big Ten was throwing them a life raft, right? I mean, eventually... Mm -hmm. You know, the, the way it all went down was like, oh, Oregon and Washington, they jumped first. Uh, but if they hadn't jumped, do we do, do we know for sure that Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah wouldn't have? And, and then, you know, in the end, it was just who was going to go first. Oregon Washington did. They went at a heavy discount to the Big Ten. Right. And the Big Ten and, and Fox were like, no, we don't want Stanford and Cal. So you already got Oregon and Washington going at a dr- drastically reduced price that's only you know it's not significantly more than they would have made on that apple deal in the pac 12 i mean it's it's a good bit more but not like life world altering uh money more and so cal and stanford are left behind and even if the big 10 were to throw them a life raft right it's still it's only going to be in line with you know at best what their current athletic department revenues uh, are so it's a terrible situation for those two athletic departments because yeah, they're robust. I mean, their Olympic sport, sports offerings are deep. And it, it's just 10 years ago that Stanford was consistently under David Shaw winning yep. double-digit games. And now we're here in this era where it doesn't even feel like they can be competitive in college football anymore beyond just the conference stuff, but from a standpoint of NIL transferring everything that's entailed with this new era in college football it feels like Stanford has just completely uh fallen off the map in term in terms of its ability uh to be a contender in this era.
3: And I'm glad, I'm glad you bring up Fox and the the Big 10 because if people were wondering up until now who runs college sports, it's not presidents, it's not chancellors, it's not commissioners, it's the heads of those uh TV conglomerates. It's the heads of the people that
4: are giving the money out for media rights. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's interesting. I've been going back. So I'm working on this timeline piece for right. CBS sports, uh, irony in that, of course I work for CBS sports. We're a TV network. I'm, you know, we're, <laughs> right. I'm a, my my employer is part of this. I mean, in some ways we all are, you more than anyone, Gabe, you played the sport uh, at a high level. Uh, you know, I'm employed as a college sports writer. Like we, we all, in some ways, like you talk about college sports quite a bit as part of your living, we're all sort of, uh, benefactors of this, uh, This enterprise, if you will. But yeah, the networks are are running the show, uh, and and they are telling the conference commissioners, who are then telling their university presidents, no, here's what we need to do, because this will get us uh, the, the most money. And 30, 40 years ago, that's not necessarily how things were. But this all started, if you really want to go back, in 1984, there was a Supreme Court decision that basically said the NCAA could no longer control the uh, media rights to college football broadcasting. And then at that point, it all went to the conferences. And then since there, it's been this steady evolution leading to where we are now, which is uh, the extinction of the Pac-12, which Mm -hmm. over the last 15 years, uh, just a a series of missteps by their leadership, uh, a lot of ignorance on behalf of their presidents, and uh it's really quite sad and then when you go through chronologically and look at every every blunder uh it's really not surprising at all to, to see the end result because there were a lot of blunders along the way
3: now when we look at these additions we'll start with the big 12 Arizona Arizona State Utah Colorado what do you think that does for the big 12 do you like their standing do you like the conference uh and what they've put together
4: yeah I do I mean from a basketball standpoint it's still the best in the country I think I mean Utah was there in the 90s under Rick Majerus. They've got the potential to flash in basketball. Colorado is not flashy, but they're at least competitive year in, year out under Tad Boyle. Arizona State, at least always in the NCAA tournament conversation under Bobby Hurley. And then Arizona, one of the premier brands in college basketball, joining a league that already has Kansas uh, and Baylor, uh, who are two of the last three national title winners so that's i mean yep. houston as well you know in that league moving forward so you know you got ucf down there you're going to have a, a bottom tier now in big 12 basketball which you didn't have before mm-hmm. but you're going to have a top 10 that is just yep. insane uh and then from a football standpoint it's going to be entertaining <laughs> you know, you don't necessarily have like a oh clear-cut top dog big time football brand like year in year out playoff contender uh, in there but that, that makes it fun and then from a financial standpoint, uh, you know, they're not going to be Big Ten. They're not going to be SEC, but uh, they are in a really good position to be viable uh, and to be competitive moving forward. So I think, you know, you got to give a, a tremendous uh, hat tip to Brett Yormark and the Big 12 for their proactiveness yep. in all of this and uh, their aggress- their aggression and, you know, who knows uh, if, they're, if they're done or not, right? Like, we'll see. Um, wouldn't be shocked if, if they've still got one or two more tricks uh, up their sleeve. But for now, uh, given the landscape that he walked into, Brett Yormark has come out of this a, a big winner.
3: Now, what what kind of tricks are we talking about before we get to the additions of the Big Ten? What what tricks do you think could be up old Brett Yormark's sleeve?
4: Well, I mean, look, everyone seems to, to think we're heading towards a 20-team era where these conferences mm-hmm. are going to continue to enlarge and – uh, beef up, and you know certainly if if Florida State and Clemson and North Carolina and Virginia can find their way out of the ACC and uh, into the welcoming arms of the Big Ten and the SEC, right? Like you know that that twenty team era could become realistic in this decade. And so yeah, for the Big Twelve, they're going to try and do everything that they can uh, to keep keep pace to to be at at, at the table. Uh, with with those leagues and that could mean adding more schools and right now of course you got four left in the pack 12 yeah not high priority Um, (laughs) right right look i mean at the end of the day like Memphis's standing in all this remains uncertain tenuous uh subject to change Uh, you see reports today that the AAC would be aggressive in pursuing those leftover Pac-12 members right how wild would that be yep uh an AAC stretching from uh Charlotte to uh the Bay Area uh and with stops in Corvallis Oregon and uh <laughs> Pullman Washington i mean yeah. it's, it's it's crazy to think about but if you're going to be in the AAC like Memphis is at the moment that would be great to to add them and add some prestige and some cachet and uh get get you uh, a little bit a little bit further up the pecking order get
3: you that much sought after Tulane Washington State matchup on a Saturday <laughs> night, right?
4: I mean, it's one of those. <laughs> it would be fun. I mean, I don't know. It's just it would be like a Big Twelve light almost. I don't know. Um, I know. I know that's not probably getting anyone real excited um, anywhere, but it, it would make the league better. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if if, if those four schools are going to turn their nose up at that, but at some point they're going to have to confront a reality, which is that their financial picture is. I'm sure they're already confronting it. I mean, they're they're, almost overnight. The long-term outlook uh, financially for those four athletic departments has changed in a, seriously negative way and if the AAC can can put together a package for them you know, at some point that's something they'll have to consider.
3: Now I did get a kick out of Thursday and Friday, like all of the discussion about Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten, Big Ten didn't want to be predatory. Didn't didn't want to end the Pac twelve as we know it. Mm -hmm. But we hear from Arizona's president Bobby Robbins in his press conference today. He said we were showing up together to sign our Grant of Rights deal over to the Pac twelve conference and then he was apparently this is what, what Bobby Robbins, president of Arizona said he was apparently told by one of Oregon or Washington's presidents ten minutes before the meeting we'll be taking our talents to the Big Ten.
4: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and also the Big Ten not wanting to be predatory. Well, why did they snag US, uh, USC and UCLA right. then? Because right. that's that's okay. Well, you can go back and like you can say anything started this right. Like you can go back to eighty four, like I did with a Supreme Court case, and you know point to that as the start of all this right. But for this wave, for this iteration of realignment really it was the sec going after texas and oklahoma uh that started it geographically though that at least made sense somewhat uh they were contiguous with the existing membership of the conference uh border states all you know from more or less in the same region of the country uh throughout that 16 team footprint so you just from that point you don't necessarily expect uh for the Big Ten to go out to the West Coast, they did. It was predatory, <laughs> and, and it and it forced the hand of these other teams in the Pac-10. So the idea to hear that uh, the Big Ten was, oh, we didn't we didn't want to be predatory, we didn't want to kill the Pac-12. That's exactly yep. what you did uh, yep. last year when you went out to get U- UCLA and USC. You killed uh, the Pac-12. So it's uh, it's really ridiculous. There's obviously just a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of looking out for yourself. And uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know, just uh, some people call it sad. I, I guess, you know, you kind of have to be naive to view it that way though, because all the the tea leaves and the signs in this industry of college sports have been pointing this way for a really, really long time. And, you know, we are one different decision from Texas away yep. from 12 years ago, the PAC 12 getting Texas, Oklahoma, Texas tech, Oklahoma state, and and some of those schools and and forming a a super conference that would have been, you know, at that time, uh, unprecedented and and beyond uh, anything the Big Ten and SEC had ever conceived of. And if, if Larry Scott pulls that off at the time, you know, the landscape that we're looking at right now is drastically different. So, you know, we could see it all the way back then. No things were moving in this direction. And then the Big Ten just went and put it in overdrive uh, when it started going after these these Pac-12 schools.
3: It's like they want to come across as a wolf in sheep's clothing, but they're very much $80 to $100 million a year. The best TV media rights deal out there right now. They're very much a wolf in wolf's clothing, although they want to act like they're nice on the front end. It's just strange to me, their whole posturing in this entire sort of landscape of college sports talking with David Cobb at David W. Cobb on X. Now with the Pack Four, there's been some conversations about a merger with the with the Mountain West potentially, but it feels like the the Uh, the Pac-12, the Pac-4 right now, wants to try to bring Mountain West teams over. The only problem with that is $34 million exit fee. And seemingly those teams, if they jump into the Pac-12 right now, would not be able to recover those losses for quite some time because there's no media rights deal signed. And even the one that was on the table when they were still a power conference just last week was, what, $23 million plus escalators? It doesn't seem like it would make much sense for any of – Uh, the, The Mountain West teams to jump into that conference, it seems like it would have to be the other way around.
0: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
4: Yeah, you're right. That's a very astute observation. And that $23 million Apple deal uh, without Oregon, without Washington, without Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. It ain't
3: $23 million right <laughs>
4: anymore. <laughs> exactly (laughs) right right. exactly right so financially you're spot on the the mechanics of the the, uh, pac 12 absorbing some of the the mountain west teams is very convoluted and unlikely also i'm still shook that you uh you referred to me as david w cobb on x like yeah i know
3: know. it's it's still strange to me but i'm calling it by its name i'm calling it by its name Uh, if i I can call the
4: liberty bowl simmons bank
3: liberty stadium every time i refer to it i can call twitter x
4: that's good. That means Odyssey won't be getting a cease and desist letter yeah, like everybody right, right. in the near
3: time. Elon so. won't be writing us a, writing us a strongly worded uh, email or letter. That's, that, that's right. good in the meantime.
4: That's good. You, you could be a lawyer, Gabe. Uh, yes. But no, I, I don't know what's going to happen with these schools. There's no natural home. It, here's where it doesn't make any sense. Uh, there, there's a lot of things here that are kind of illogical in, in, the, in this wave of realignment. But the one that comes to mind uh, uh, more than any... Eli Drinkwitz, the the head coach at Missouri, who says a lot of things that sometimes you roll your eyes at, Mm -hmm. he actually hit the nail on the head over the weekend and all this, which is, did we consider the student-athletes in the non-revenue sports? Because football is going to be fine, and he's dead right about that. Football can survive a few cross-country flights every season, right? Not ideal for Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly and Dan Lanning to have to fly their team across the country three times per season, but they're going to do it on a charter flight. And they're going to have to do it far less frequently than the athletes in the non-revenue sports, Uh, even basketball. You you know, you talk about weeknight travel and you talk about twice as much travel as football uh, and, you know, in a sport that makes less revenue. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But you go beyond that to the 10, 12, in some cases, 20 other sports on campus uh, who don't fly via charter, who fly via commercial uh, or who have typically uh, ridden in a bus to a nearby conference opponent uh, for, for their games or competitions. Now we're talking about uh, putting Cal or Stanford in the ACC. How does that work from a softball and baseball standpoint, right. from a volleyball standpoint? It, it doesn't. And Rick Pitino, uh, of all people, was a voice of reason over Saw the weekend, this. saying, hey, right? Like, let's uh, have these football conferences uh, continue as, as discussed with all this realignment. But let's keep some regionality uh, for all the other sports because it doesn't make any sense for the other sports, in my opinion, including basketball, to do some of this cross-country travel. Football, you can pull it off. If it makes the TV executives happy, more money, whatever, Like that's fine. Charter flights, no big deal. For the rest of the sports across the landscape in college right now, This realignment is completely nonsensical.
3: But, uh, I mean, looking at what he had to say, doesn't it make sense for football to break away, to separate leagues, and allow the rest of the sports to uh, compete regionally? Um, Pull out your crystal ball. When does that happen? Does that happen?
4: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so much uncertainty that it's hard to say. Congressional intervention feels like the best. uh, Yuck. Uh, Yuck, (laughs) David. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, though, but yuck. I know. Uh, there's also at some point going to be a Supreme Court ruling. I don't know when or which case it'll be, and the mechanics of it all. But at some point, there will be a Supreme Court ruling of, of more significance than that 1984 ruling that says college athletes are employees, and that's going to be. Yeah, I think that's a, a part of what we're seeing with, with all these these moves. Is that um, schools want to want to load up as much money as they can. Um, for selfish and greedy and competitive reasons, of course, but I think deep down there is a fear of the day of the day of reckoning for college sports, if you will, when that employee status kicks in for the athletes, at which point, if you have 20 varsity sports with 400, 500-plus student-athletes and you will have to pay them all as employees' salaries and mm. benefits, you know, that you need to be well-fortified financially for that era. Um, so I think yeah, you, know, you talk about breaking out more regionally for the for the non-revenue sports. There, if there was any central leadership from the NCAA or from anyone anywhere, you know, then maybe we could get to that point. But until a court ruling or a, a congressional law brings us to that point, I, I don't see it happening.
3: All right, enough of that. We do have fall camps going on around the country, <laughs> and we have a coach's preseason poll. Top five is Georgia. At one, Michigan two, Alabama three, four, Ohio State five, LSU. Um, The only question I have about that top five ultimately is Alabama. I mean, this is from the coaches, this is still a nod for Nick Saban, no? I mean, I I look at that roster and I look at how they've put it together and all the unknown, and I I don't necessarily think from a roster-building perspective they're necessarily, and especially looking at what they're going to have to play in the SEC, I don't think they're necessarily the number three team in the country.
4: Yeah, with you there, I've got Alabama down near like, Seven or eight in our CBS Sports uh, one thirty. I'd have to double check, but they're not a top five team in my ballot. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty all around there. Uh, look no further than the quarterback position. Yep, uh, right. Three man battle uh, at this point in preseason practice with a new coordinator, with a new defensive coordinator as well. That's as much uncertainty as you've seen at Alabama uh, in August at any point in Nick Saban's tenure. I mean, two new coordinators and a new quarterback on the heels of a non national title winning season. Uh, you're right. I mean, that's a say Alabama landing at three in this coach's poll is nothing but respect for Nick Saban from, uh, the, from the voters because on their merits, they are not the preseason number three team in college football.
3: Now, just sort of looking up and down the coach's preseason poll, uh, do you have any other sort of overwhelming issues? That's sort of the one I look at is, damn, they, they, they overranked Alabama, but the rest of it seems relatively normal. But what do you think?
4: A little surprised the USC is down at six. They returned right. the Heisman Trophy winner at Quarterback and they Nintendo spent some play. money
3: this offseason, huh? They spent some they money. Did. Yeah.
4: They've tried to fortify their, their defensive front. I think we all still have questions about how well they've done that. But for a team that was a couple of bad breaks away from being in the playoff, that returned so much, surprised to see them down at six. I also feel like Penn State could be a little bit higher. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Drew Aller is stepping in there as a quarterback replacing Sean Clifford, but he could actually, you know, we'll see, but he could graze the ceiling for them offensively at a time when their defense is loaded and stacked at every single position. So, you know, it's a little bit of a safety net to, to throw Alabama and Ohio State up there uh, with Georgia and Michigan uh, when those two are, are replacing quarterbacks. It's just coaches voting with, uh, with, with recent history and, and comfort there. Uh, when you got teams like LSU, uh, USC, Penn State, Florida State, list goes on, that all have oodles of returning production and and uh, cases uh, for, for inclusion in the playoff this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess I'm a little. I'm not shocked, but um, would disagree with the placement of Alabama in particular uh, from the coaches here.
3: And uh, number two, Michigan. I, I think they got number one and number two right, um, especially Georgia coming off two national championships how, championships. how can you put them anywhere but number one? And I think they had, what, 15 uh, NFL draft picks to replace last year and still won a national championship and went undefeated. Um, for Michigan. Uh, how, how likely, because it seems like there's a lot of pop, uh, popularity to the pick of Michigan dethroning Georgia and winning a natty this year. They have Trevor Keegan coming back uh, along the offensive line. They have Zach Zinter coming back along the offensive line. Blake Corum will return, Cornelius Johnson, Mason Graham along the defensive line. They have a loaded team still, and they were able to keep guys that likely would have been in NFL draft picks this past season. Like How, how high are you on Michigan?
4: Yeah, they also have uh, Phil Steele's number 67 uh, ranked schedule. <laughs> uh, so so there you go. Uh, those two at the top, I mean, partly it's because they don't have to play themselves, right? Uh, but Georgia and Michigan both have, have cake schedules uh, this year. So I think in that sense, it's almost a foregone conclusion that, you know, they enter the final week of the regular season in prime position to uh, reach the playoff. Uh, so that's, a little bit disappointing, but I think it makes them easy default picks at number one and number two. And then, you know, I think for, for Michigan, it's, um, you know, where's the hole? Like what's the, the, the up, right? Like there's no, there's no flaws. There's no obvious, uh, uh, questions with this team and, and the continuity that they have in, in key positions is, is staggering. Um, and it should be the best team that the Jim Harbaugh has fielded yet. And he just took them to the playoffs two years in a row. So it's, uh, I think Michigan or uh, Georgia deserves to be number one without a doubt on the heels of back-to-back Natties. But I'm with you. I mean, I think Michigan has a shot uh, to, to do it this year uh, with a target on their back, mind you, from, from Ohio State. Uh, yep. So that big game is always big, but uh, it'll be it'll be massive both for Ryan Day and then also for what Jim Harbaugh ultimately wants to accomplish this year.
3: Now, last couple of things for you. I, I realize I haven't even asked you about Memphis, and I know they started fall camp, so I'm actually going to have to ask you about them. But for, for before that, ACC, Florida or Clemson? Florida State or, or Clemson at the top this year? I mean, the Florida State has a lot returning. We know they brought in Keon Coleman defensively. They still have a, guy, a lot of guys back. Fabian Lovett's still there. Um, Jordan Travis, is. I mean, he's a great signal caller, um, and he's very, very uh, experienced at this point. Clemson, though, I mean, was still great last year in a lot of ways, even dealing with that quarterback situation between Kate uh, Klubnick and DJU. Uh,
4: yeah, I'm on the fence here. I think the the Clemson hire of Garrett Riley at offensive coordinator right. gives them a chance to be more more dynamic than they have been the last several years. So we'll see with Kate Klubnick, all the promise in the world there. Uh, I, I feel like the Garrett Riley move could be the move that keeps Clemson atop the, the league. And, heck, if you listen to the, the Florida State Board of Trustees, like they would – they would go independent tomorrow if they could. So uh, are we sure they're actually going <laughs> right. to compete in the ACC this season? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't know. We uh, don't be, know, I guess. It's facetious, but, like, yeah. Things could uh, happen. <laughs> right, right. If the Saudis pour uh, a couple of bills <laughs> uh, into Florida State, like right. maybe they go compete somewhere else. But, no, be, uh, the Florida State-Clemson game this year, uh, huge. And then there's a chance for rematch because, you know, the ACC is scrapping divisions. So that's, I mean, another important thing to watch here in the ACC is, like, uh, the, the potential for a rematch in, in the in the conference title game uh, between those two. So, you know, I, I think I guess if you you made me pick, I, I would actually go FSU uh, just because of the you know the Jordan Travis continuity there, and and Mike Norvell has been building to this for quite a long time. No clear holes, um, kind of like we're talking about with, with Michigan. Uh, so I think they've got a shot. I mean, they really do. The LSU game is huge uh, out of the gate for their college football Massive. Playoff folks. I mean, you just can't overstate that. If they win that one, they could even slip up against Clemson and still have a shot.
3: Yeah, but they they have to win that LSU game, or it's just going to be absolutely. I mean, the 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 room for error is zero. It's just zero, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. They won that game last year, though, so we'll see if they can pull it off again. Maybe a missed extra point. Maybe 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 we'll uh, maybe they'll get lucky again. Um, now Memphis. Um, last thing for you, what, what do you think about their prospects in the AAC this year? Um, I know there's a lot of unknown, and that's sort of like when, when I have conversations around this team. It's just so many different transfer portal names. Now, granted, they have a lot more talent, I think, on this roster than they've had the past few years uh, under Ryan Silverfield. Um, but there is a lot of unknown, and, and it's, it's hard to tell how everything's going to come together.
4: Yeah, I mean, to me, it feels like a, a pretty favorable schedule in the sense that they don't have to play uh UTSA who you know would probably be my pick to to win the league. I know Tulane is on there, but that's a home game for Memphis, right? So that's favorable as well. Um SMU, home game as well. So when you you return your quarterback, you have a favorable schedule and you know, you're kind of in a make it or break it year from a head coaching standpoint. As your league gets really easier, like these are all signs that point toward a significant uptick in victories for Memphis football this year. Uh, I, I don't know what the standard is right now. I guess that's the ultimate question. It is more like people like you who helped define that, uh, who played in that program, who um, are kind of pushing it towards this, this new era of college football. And this is a, a big year for Memphis. I mean, if Memphis can go out and, and do 10-2 and two or 11-1, and one, I don't know, it makes them a lot more attractive. Yep. show value. There's no doubt. But even something as – I think 8-4 has got to be the minimum. Like yeah. T- looking at the way this league shapes up – uh, looking at, the, at, you know, how, how deep into this tenure we are now for Ryan Silverfield, um, you've you got to at least win eight games. That's progress. Um, that cements yourself as an upper third team in this league moving forward. It probably doesn't make you all that attractive for realignment purposes, but uh, that's got to be at least the minimum, I feel like, to, to continue on, you know, down this path with Silverfield
3: no question now uh i guess i'll get this in real quick tigers and dominican republic what'd you what'd you think two and one uh coming out of it jordan brown in that final game 23 and 11 jj taylor had 22 in one of those games what did you think about this sort of the first look at them playing together
4: Yeah, you know, i love that atmosphere in their first game oh I, it was a the, spectacle wasn't it that was a wild i had the youtube uh pulled up and i was kind of struggling to figure out which, like who was who you know but uh Anyway, I guess that's Penny's probably struggling with that too, uh, given how new new the roster is. Right. All, all the, the turnover they had there, but yeah, what a what a great trip! Uh, awesome that they got to do that this year with all the turnover and uh, got to play good competition too, which you don't always get on these trips. I mean, sometimes the teams you play are just really really bad, um, and so for Moses to be tested against a team with pros and with like like legitimate adults was, uh, that was fun to see. And I was encouraged by it. Like, you know, I think Jordan Brown has the chance to be a first team, all AAC, like, you know, real, like real big time player from Memphis. Uh Um, They just gotta, you know, they they gotta commit to playing through him. And I think if they do that, that gives them the path to be, you know, to maximize their talent. So uh, his, his performances, I think kind of indicated uh, maybe that could be you know, where where they're going. But I was impressed with Caleb Mills too, from what I saw in that first game. I mean, yep,
1: we get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? let odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs advertise with odyssey visit ads.odyssey.com
4: he's the type of guy who can go out and create a, a shot for you late in the clock or uh get to the hoop and, and break down the defense so having somebody like that uh, offensively is, is going to be nice for memphis and well. it was
3: cool to see Jaquan walton until he ate some bad fish i guess that's sort of the the uh the report we're getting. Him and uh, yeah, Rick Stansberry yeah. ate some bad salmon one night, and it uh,
4: it, it haunted them. Yeah, you got to be careful uh, <laughs> down there. You got
3: to be careful. Yeah, you do, you do. But, David, appreciate the heck out of it, man. We'll do it again soon.
4: All right, appreciate it, David. Thanks. Yes,
3: sir. That's David Cobb at David W. Cobb on X, covering college basketball and college football for CBS Sports. Now, it's time to get into the Blitz, and Jaron Jackson Jr. won a straw poll during training camp for the FIBA World Cup. We'll tell you what he won on the other side, right here, on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN.
1: Guests appear on the Smile
3: Center Hotline. Now, back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. You're about to the chronicles of by- When disaster strikes, I have someone you need to call. In your time of need, if you need someone to respond, you call Service Master by Cornerstone. I tell you every day. But they're the largest franchise in a 600-mile radius, and they're the best at what they do. They've been awarded Service Master's Franchise the Year Award, meaning they are the number one Service Master Store franchise in the USA. I hope none of these things happen to you, but we've had some storms, lingering storm damage. If you have uh, water damage from a busted water heater, frozen pipes, toilet overflows, fire, there's smoke damage. If you need mold remediation, call Service Master by Cornerstone. No matter the place, no matter the size, they're here to help you with the damage. It could be an office. It could be just any old residential property you have. It could be your home. But make sure you call Tyler, the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone. He's very, very passionate about his role in disaster recovery large and small his team is the same way they have a great motto we don't pray for disaster we just pray we get called when there is one so remember the name locally owned locally operated service master by cornerstone to respond in your time of need and respond is a uh, active word here because that's what their number is 901 respond 901 r-e-s-p-o-n-d 901 respond for service master by cornerstone all right time for the blitz Now, the biggest stories overloading the line line. of Bull Rush of Info. It's Gabe's Blitz on the Gabe Kuhn Show on 92.9 FM ESPN, Memphis' sports station. And as always, remember that the Blitz is brought to you by
5: Sissy's Log Cabin. Connor, what you got for me today? First topic today, Jaron Jackson Jr. was voted best player during training camp for the FIBA World Cup by his peers. This should be the least surprising thing ever. Like, I, I just, I don't...
3: I feel like the casual NBA fan at times thinks that Jaron Jackson Jr. is an overrated guy. You remember the response after he got voted to the all-star team and how people, Jaron Jackson Jr., seriously? That guy? Well, that guy is 23 years old with an insane skill set. We've talked about it a million times on these airwaves, me and Connor. Yeah, John Morant is the peak, the pinnacle of, of stardom in this city. But if you want to unlock a championship caliber team with the defensive prowess, with some of the offense, what he can do around the rim, what he can do in running the floor, Jaron Jackson Jr. has to be at the peak for this team here in Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies, to become what they want to become. And that's a championship winner. But again, 23 years old, defensive player of the year, All-NBA defense first team. He's been on it twice, on that team twice. He's an all-star. and. It's funny, like when this came out, you see some of the reaction. He's one of four All-Stars on that team with Anthony Edwards, Brandon Ingram, and Tyrese Halliburton. It was very clear going into this. He was probably up there with the best players on this team. It just should not be surprising at all. This is a guy who has a lot ahead of him, and I'm excited to see where his career takes him.
5: Yeah, totally agree. We've been saying since, you know, basically I started on this show that we both think that The Grizzlies ceiling goes as high as Jaron Jackson Jr. goes. And there's a reason why I expect him to have an All-NBA season next year. We saw in the playoffs against the Lakers, although they lost that series, there were multiple moments. where Jaron Jackson Jr. was by far the best player on the floor in games that featured LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That matters. And John Morant. And John Morant. He was... What J.R. Jackson Jr. has been able to do in the last few years in his growth is such an encouraging sign for the Grizzlies. It doesn't surprise me at all that he got voted best player here. There have been a lot of clips about the way Steve Kerr is using him in the offense, and he's really using him on screens, which if you're a Grizzlies fan, you should be excited about because he's he's learning a new skill set in this FIBA training and yep. in the World Cup that he can bring back to the Grizzlies. It's really his first offseason where he's truly been able to put in some work without an injury, without anything else going on. So I cannot wait to see what Jared Jackson Jr. looks like next year. And again, this getting voted by his peers, by people at the training camp means that it's not just Grizzlies fans that need to be excited about him. Everybody else sees the skill and what he could potentially be. And again, he's only 23. Right. He's only it's 23 hard, it's years hard to old. Because
3: ima- he's been in the league for five years. It's hard to imagine he's only 23. It's incredible.
5: Last year is is a career best
3: year. It's not even close. 18, nearly 19 points per game, a career high in rebounds, a career high in uh, blocks per game. I mean, like it shouldn't it it shouldn't surprise anyone how highly thought of this guy is. He's a 6'11, 23 year old defensive player of the year. You know how rare that is? And he can score at all three levels. It's insanely levels. rare. Like last year, I mean, nuts. think about this, too. Like last year was probably, from an accolade and and pure production standpoint, that was probably one of the best years by any individual in Grizzlies history. Defensive player of the year, first team all-defense, all-star nod. I mean, th- th- that should tell you what you need to know. And I think the, the offensive part of his game is what he may need to work I mean rebounds continue to get better so I'm going to leave that out for a second offense he can he can continue to grow he's got a three point ball he did way better at attacking the rim last year like telling people they were too little picking apart mismatches uh he needs to continue that maybe grow a grow a mid range and the offensive uh
5: upside still 5 years into his career the offensive upside is unbelievable I think you nailed you, you nailed it right there when you were talking about how he needs to be able to use his size and I think that that's really what we saw in the last two months when Ja was out when he really stepped up and then in that playoff series is that he was he's starting to realize just how much bigger he is than people and he is using that size to his advantage he is a matchup nightmare for people Anthony Davis had some moments against him where he was able to kind of put him in a box defensively but he was still able to break through every once in a while against AD and AD is one of the best defenders in the world so you know I'm not going to do a litmus test of his offensive ability because it was AD. When you look at everybody else, he was playing. It was pure dominance. He was yep. playing at an All NBA level that the last two months of that season. And I just expect that to be normal for him now. That's kind of where we're at. And once he really figures out how to use those post moves to his advantage, he's going to crush it because he's already got the outside game. He can take people off the dribble. He's got a pretty good layup package. Now he can just get some of that footwork down in the post. Whoa! Look and here's the other thing it's is, and
3: th- this is this is where you know there's there's two sides to every story. He's got to stay on the
5: court yeah, for consistently, sure. but for the sure. last
3: two years he's been better at that. Wasn't he really a the problem first, last year. Yeah, he missed the first 15 games of last year, but then played 63 games still. Yeah. Um, oh, I, th- I was thinking
5: fouls. When you said, "Oh, that, that too, that
3: too," he <laughs> needs to improve on that. I mean, that's part of I it was as well. Fouls. That's part of it as well. Yeah. But like the injuries got to stay away, and uh, and the fouls need to start going down a little bit more. But I, I think that comes with seasoning. That comes with practice. We're now going on year six. I expect a lot of good things, great things, out of him going into next season.
5: Speaking of Anthony Davis, he just signed a three-year, 186 million dollar max extension with the Lakers. The annual contract is the biggest in history, with 62 million dollars per year through 2028.
3: Oh, through 2028. This is uh, Lakers are going to continue to running, continue to run this group they have out until the wheels fall off. That's what this tells me. Um, I'm not surprised that they signed him to the richest annual contract of 62 million a year. Um, You can talk about his injury history. You can talk about him going on 30, but he is one of the premier two-way bigs in this league, and he's been doing it for a long, long time. Now, with him, it is very serious as he gets up there in age. I talked about Jaron Jackson Jr. staying on the floor in injuries. Anthony Davis is going to try to have to stay on Uh, the court uh, for extended games he's gonna have to stay on the floor for a lot more than he has the past couple of seasons because if you're trying to invest this much in a guy like Anthony Davis at age 30 you're gonna bet on his health and it's it's
5: it's interesting the Lakers are
3: betting on his health
5: yeah and to be honest I don't mind it because you know We get jokes off about AD's health, and it is kind of wild how he does fall down every single game. Like, he's going to fall down every single game. He's going to (laughs) make you think he's hurt, but ultimately, he gets back up. And when he falls down,
3: it's scary. It's like an iPhone without the case. Very
5: much so. But he usually gets back up. And when you actually look at the games played broken down, he played more games than Kawhi, Paul George, KD, Steph last season. So, you know, I get the jokes, and I understand why some people may be hesitant to give this, this guy with an injury history this type of money. But if you're the Lakers, I don't think you had any other. Choice yeah, really. if you don't give you him don't max, a max, someone else
3: after this contract would give him a max. Right. He's, and he's, he's the worth a max. and at the of the, the day,
5: when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy and playing at the same time, they can beat anybody. They just can I thought that the reason they were able to give the Nuggets at least a 10% of a scare was because they had both of them, LeBron wasn't fully healthy so we didn't really get to see what that was, but the only reason they had a shot in that series both of us knew that they weren't going to win, but the only reason they had a shot was because they had a guy like Anthony Davis, right? especially when there's a guy like Nikola Jokic out there, you need a big guy that can defend on the perimeter, and can at least bother a guy like Jokic you can't stop him, you can only hope to bother him, and that that's AD, you have to have that type of guy. Well, uh, One of the
3: things that does bother me, just watching AD play game to game and we saw this in the grizzly series the inconsistencies are just massive though aren't they you'll that is see, you'll true. see a 35.18 rebound performance followed by a 14.6 rebound performance it's just he's he's I know he's getting up there in age, and maybe you know playing that many games, sort of back to back, can bother him, um, and, and he gets tired, and he gets, uh, he starts to hurt a little bit. But he's got to be more consistent as this as this contract wears on. And I'm curious, you know, three years down the road, what that Lakers team looks like. I don't know. We know the situation with Bronny, and you know the the hard issue he had at USC. It sounds like he's making a recovery, but where's Bron going to be? By the time this this contract's up in 2028, what does that Lakers team look like
5: ultimately? I think those are questions we need to pay attention to uh, throughout the entirety of this contract. I think you're absolutely right. The one thing, you know, I just went to bat for, AD for a little bit, but you're absolutely right in talking about how that that inconsistency from game to game just cannot happen in the playoffs. If it happens during the regular season, whatever, but they, it still doesn't need to happen during the regular season. But in the playoffs... You've got to be able to be that number 1 guy and give LeBron a bit of a rest, man. Because LeBron's
3: be, not a 1. He can't do that anymore. He just can't
5: do that anymore. He can
3: he do is, that for a couple of games out of a series. Absolutely. But asking him, if you go into seven games, he cannot be the best player on the floor in seven games and you expect to come out on the winning side.
5: Let's be honest about it. There's just no excuse for Anthony Davis to score under 20 points in a playoff game. Yep. That's just, you were, you were at the level as a basketball player to where you have to, especially with this contract now, you got to be putting twenty plus up every single playoff game, no matter what. He was at least showing up defensively every single time. He would disappear on the offensive end, but you've got to be there for both of them. When you are the level of player that you are, getting paid the way you are, have your reputation the way that you do. When you're out there, you got to be dominant. You can't have games off like he does. That that is one thing I fully agree with.
3: No question, no question. That'll do it for the Blitz, and we have one more segment left in this Monday edition of the Gabe Coon Show. We'll get to the rewind next, right here on ninety two nine FM, ESPN. Now it's the rewind. Now we. Rewind. Brought to you by Memphis Barbecue Company. Rewind on 92.9. Realignment is insane. Washington and Oregon are off to the Big Ten. Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State are all off to the Big 12. That leaves four teams behind for the Pac-12, and they are in complete limbo. No one is safe. Last year, it brings me back to a uh, tweet I saw from Brett McMurphy. George Kliafkoff, the commissioner of the Pac-12, talking to John Canzano and John Wilner. He said, no one's going anywhere. If schools were leaving for the Big Ten, they would have left already. He also said that he was confident on September 20th, 2022, that uh, the ten schools that were left would sign a grant rights deal if we put the right agreement in front of them. Well, none of that happened. The Pac-12 has no one to blame but themselves here. Bad leadership that didn't see the writing on the wall. Larry Scott, George Kliavkoff, presidents, chancellors, there was some elitism and resistance to change that has the ability to kill you on the back end. And the part that bothers me the most is that the Pac-12 has some history and some success. And it's likely all gone now. That history is just about dead. And the regional rivalries, Oregon, Oregon State is no longer. Washington, Washington State, the Apple Cup is no longer. It's hard to see. It's hard to watch happen right before your eyes, but that's where we're at. Chase the bag. Chase the bag. That is what is happening in college athletics across the board. We also had the Tiger basketball team go uh, 2-1, 2-and-1, I should say, in the Dominican Republic. We got all the games streamed, so I know folks were happy about that, but even in a game against the pros on Wednesday against the Dominican Republic national team, They had a pretty good, respectable outcome, 91-84. And this is a team that really hadn't run five-on-fives before that. And the Dominican Republic national team is practicing for FIBA World Cup right now. So I'll say in one word, what I saw in the Dominican Republic was encouraging. Now, guess wise today, head on David Cobb. Talk about realignment in college football as a whole. And then Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock per normal. If you want to play back the whole show, download the 92.9, or the Odyssey app, I should say, and search 92.9 ESPN.
5: What's the biggest game tonight? Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Dane Downing's back on the no, mound. Oh, so we're, we're, we're betting Rangers. Rangers at Athletics. Minus one and a half Rangers, hey, 40 p.m. They're they're uh, they're undefeated since the trade
3: deadline after adding all those pieces. So I don't I don't I don't bother you. Trust in I, doubt. I don't I don't I don't blame you, I should say. Fast forward. Fast forward. Christian Fowler joins tomorrow as is customary on a Tuesday. That'll be good fun. And then tonight's game versus Puerto Rico. How about this? FIBA, the World Cup team, will play 9 p.m. on FS1. Jaron Jackson Jr. gets to show why he was voted best player at training camp. So uh, that'll be fun to watch. But that's a wrap for today. Thanks to David Cobb and Jeff Calkins for their contributions to today's show. We'll meet back here at the same time tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and pass you off to Joe and Amber. For Connor, I'm Gay. Be easy, be safe, and enjoy the rest of your night.